no after no after no agents that either wouldn't return a call or this book isn't for us or then I started reading statistics on the percentage of people that actually ever get book agents that try to it's 5% of anybody that tries actually lands a literary agent. And I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't read that. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, I want to welcome Scott Mouts today. He is a popular keynote speaker and author of Find the Fire, Ignite Your Inspiration, and Make Work Exciting Again. And I actually heard Scott speak, so I can say he's pretty awesome. And this is also a follow-up to your other book, Make It Matter, which was a leadership and management book 2016 book of the year, first runner-up. That's pretty awesome. You're a PNG veteran, yay! You teach at Indiana University, and you write uh, ten times a month for Inc. That's, that's right. pretty amazing. Uh, that's right. It's a Welcome. Good, <laughs> good. Thanks for having me here. It's a good creative outlet. Yeah. Well, if you like to write, which we know you do, <laughs> yes, indeed. About uh, ten years ago, I started uh, getting asked to speak at PNG on leadership topics, uh, motivate how to motivate the troops how to build a culture uh, that wins, uh, that's based on others-oriented leadership. And I suppose I wasn't at least <laughs> the worst at it in the world because I kept getting asked to speak over and over and over again. And I discovered that I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And lo and behold, then people outside the company started finding out that, so this guy speaks, he's a keynote speaker, and he's pretty darn good. And, uh, hey, would you come and speak to me? And I was like, well, I'll start taking a few vacations day, days doing it as a hobby. Sure. It was a lot of fun. And then people started saying, like, dude, you got to get this in writing, like what you're talking about. Um, and, I, I, you know, my first book, I talk an awful lot about um, how you can motivate the troops by creating meaning, mm. true meaning, a sense of purpose, a sense of learning and growth and how to – really create, help people create a legacy so that they're motivated in a long, over the long haul in a way that perks and pay and promotion can't. And so I started writing about that, and I realized, like, I have a lot to say on this topic, and I'm also a little bit of a research dork. I'm like, I'm like a guy who, like, <laughs> reads journals, professional journals for fun, uh, management journals, and I read, like, consume, like, what professors around the world produce and the topic of leadership and motivation and meaning and self, uh, self-motivation. And I realized, I, I think I really know a lot about this topic. Um, it's interesting, Sarah, while I was, you know, very proud of all the business wins I had in my corporate career, I'm by, by far, I'm much more proud of the impact I had on the organization and the people and built results through others-oriented leadership along the way. That's what I'm I'm really most, most proud. proud. Yeah. So I decided, okay, well, I'm going to take a crack at starting to, uh, you know, to to write a book, and and uh, so I started doing that. And when you're working on a book, um, it depends on how you want to do it. Uh, I had a very full job at Procter and Gamble, and a family, and a you know a, a family that I love spending time with, and lots of pursuits and other interests in life. You know, I was darned if I was about to just commit my entire life to nothing but writing a book, speaking in my professional career at Procter mm-hmm. & Gamble. So I decided to, you know, to take my time. And um, the way it works in the, the book writing world, 
you it depends on how you do it. My goal was to be published by a New York City traditional publisher, a traditional okay. publishing house. And so my goal was to, you know, take my time and write the book and do it in a way that perhaps I could get an agent. Uh, perhaps that agent could pitch it to publishers and perhaps I could get picked up and then uh, and then clear for me, which was just a goal I had, a bar that I had in my own head. I wanted to be picked up by a very discerning New York publishing house. Okay. And so that was my goal. So I started writing it and it took me, you know, five years to write my first book. Five years. Okay. Uh, just while I was still, you know, had a family. And, and when I was done, I realized... Um, I think I have a, a product here that could get picked up and get published. Uh, and this will, of course, build to the story you really want to get to is where does failure come in? And at that point, I realized, like, I need to start planning my exit from Procter & Gamble because, interestingly enough, the closer I was getting to the next level at Procter & Gamble, the less I wanted it. And the more I was consumed with this thought of, you know, I think I can make a real impact on other human beings through my spoken and written word. Yeah. And now to the pinnacle of your question, so what really made you finally decide to leave? You know, it was it was interesting. Um, as I'm more senior in the company and looking at the potential for the next level, I kept asking myself one simple question. Because when you leave a big, comfortable job, there's so many variables in your head. Right. And it can confuse you. And you go back and forth and back and forth. And I boil it down to one question. One simple question for me, which mm -hmm. was, in the time I'm left with on this planet, however long that may be, God only knows, am I going to have a greater impact by leaving and inspiring with a written and the spoken word, thousands and thousands of people at a time potentially, or am I going to do it with maybe 500 people in a business unit if I'm lucky enough to make that kind of one-on-one -on -one connection? And once I put it that way, it became all the other variables evaporated. Right. It became it very clear. It was an incredible reframe. Yeah, yeah. It was very clear. It's like I'm on this earth for something greater than selling more soap than I did last year, <laughs> selling more diapers than I did last year, selling more toilet paper than I did last year. And it's to have a real impact on other human beings and help them become better versions of them of myself, of themselves rather. And when I did that, it became very clear like I have to go do this. I have to make the leap from corporate life and give it a go as a keynote speaker, a, an entrepreneur that sells courses, a writer, or I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And that was it for me. Once I decided, then it was just about planning until uh, I could put a financial plan together when I would, knew I would be ready to leave the comforts of P&G mm -hmm. and go pursue what I felt like was uh, perhaps my calling. Okay, so um, once, I, once I had made the decision, like, I, I have to do this, then it was a matter of kind of building a bridge and a path and a plan to, to enable uh, to do that. My goal was to clear this bar. And for anybody that wants to write, the opportunities are incredible today. You can self-publish on Amazon. There are all kinds of companies out there where you pay a fee and you can you write your book. They might give you some editorial help, but there's no, there isn't a bar to clear in terms of will I or will I not get published. You can you can, you get, can published. get published, and that is so. But you cool. had that dream about the New York. Publishing. I had the dream about the New York publisher. For me, that was just what drove me. I had a, a, an internal. Um, I wanted to prove I was a good enough writer to that particular set of people, and I mm -hmm. make that distinction because lots of really awesome authors are self-published, and frankly, you can make more money being self-published than you can being a published author. Yeah. 
that was important for me. So I set that goal out. And, uh, you know, I'd been working on this book for five years, uh, researching, uh, putting my heart and soul into it. I remember that, you know, I'd taken creative writing in college, and I'd forgotten I took creative writing in college because I'd been <laughs> in business for 23 years. And I felt this, uh, you know, I didn't feel like I was producing all that I had inside of me anymore. And that's a, it's a, you know, I talk in the book, um, find the fire a lot about one of the things that saps the inspiration from us is at, at work is when we're not producing and creating our best work and all that we're capable of all that we have inside and i have a very creative side of me that wanted to get out and i remembered my god through the process of writing this book i have a really creative side and so i took my time and researched the book well and spent i mean just meticulous number of hours and planning and interviews and connecting with literally the leading minds in the world and how to create meaning at work yeah. in a way that sustains motivation. Um, and I, I wrote, a, you know, in the end, a book that I'm very proud of. But the process to get there was very, very painful. because. Okay. Uh, so I finished the book after five years of working on it. Why was it painful? <clears throat> well, I'm, a, I'm about to reveal that to you. <laughs> so after working on it for five years, um, I started pitching agents. Because the route I wanted to go, your odds are better if you can get a literary and publishing agent to do that. And so I started writing that first book, and I discovered, like, okay, getting an agent isn't easy. Like, it isn't easy at all. And so I started to write letters to agents that are, like, um, in my field that have sold books of my ilk before, uh, helping leaders become uh, the best leaders they can and helping others become the best version of themselves. And as I, as I went through that process, I started getting no's, like a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Some wouldn't even return my message. And, and then I, and I remember reading an article about trying to get a book agent is not that dissimilar to actors that try to get acting agents. And you hear stories of them yes. busting tables in Los Angeles. And it all of a sudden realized on me, you know, it dawned on me, I've entered something unbelievably difficult. And I started for the first time in my life really getting used to the word no. Like, mm. no, and then another no, and then another no, and then another no. Um, and this is even the. I think it would be the, the exact opposite to working at Procter and Gamble. Yeah. You've got a pretty high job, a pretty yes. high profile job. So you weren't used to hearing no. I wasn't used to hearing no. Uh, I didn't get to where I was in Procter and Gamble by not being a persuasive individual, I, I, um, I, I think. And so. This wasn't even the painful part of the story yet. So yeah. I, I'm getting this, okay, this psychology of, well, hmm, this little whisper in the back of my head of like, dude, you might not, you might not succeed here, pal. Mm. And I tried to just block it out. Okay, I, can't, I don't have time to think about that. Kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. No after no after no. Agents that either wouldn't return a call or this book isn't for us. Or Then I started reading statistics on the percentage of people that actually ever get book agents that try to. It's... Five percent of anybody that tries actually lands a literary agent, and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't read that. Right. <laughs> and so now it's starting to bring it, bring it to my mind. So probably after you know, I don't even know, probably twenty no's from agents. You know, I finally got a break where I got an introduction um, from a fellow author to an agent that was like, wow, this is really good. I want to represent you. Okay, well, that's just the first part of the you know the story. If you want to get published, five percent of authors get an agent. Less than 5% of that people that are left amongst that group actually get a publishing deal. And I never thought about, I never wow. thought about it that way. I just said, well, of course I'm going to succeed because I've been working on this all my life. I know I have profound insight to, to share. 
that later has been validated with the amount of, you know, I've been blessed to get a, a lot of recognition for the writing. But at the time, of course, I didn't know this. Sure. And so my agent started the process of pitching. And he went one at a time. His desire was you can either scatter shot out, take the author, take their uh, the, the book proposal that you write. And a lot of authors just choose to write 20-page proposal, which says, this is what the book is going to be about. Go pitch it. If somebody buys it, you then write the book. Okay, okay. I couldn't have that at work. I couldn't have the pressure of a deadline to deliver a book. I hadn't written it yet with the size job that I had. So I wrote the entire book first. <laughs> Five years, I wrote the entire book and then back wrote the proposal. And so the agent said, you know what? I want you to re. I want you to reframe the book this way. I've been working on it for five years, so I went through a tremendous amount of. All right, you know what? We'll reframe it. I'll rewrite twenty percent of the book so you feel comfortable. You can go out and pitch it. He took it. He went out and he did that. His style was to go one publishing house at a time, not scatter shot twelve, which some agents do. I don't know which one is better or not. His was to go one at a time. So he went one at a time, and I was feeling really good. He had. He's like, dude, this is this is going to be huge. We're going to sell it, and it's going to be no problem. Talking me up. One month goes by, a no. Ah, we were close. X Y Z excuse. He likes this, uh, but he feels like that part of the market has already been served. Blah 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 blah. Excuse. No worries. We're going to go pitch exclusively to the next person. You send it to the agent, and uh, you send it to the publishing house, and right. you have to wait because they have exclusive rights for that amount of time. He sends it out. Another month goes by. No. All right, don't worry. You know, the, the reason why was X, Y, Z. We're going to keep going. I'm going to the next one. Another month goes by. No. And this process goes on and on for almost a year. And Do you pay him while uh, he's doing that? He gets, um, the agents typically get 15% of your book sales at the end of the day. Okay, so okay. they don't make money until you get sold. So there's incentive for them to actually go out and sell the book. Okay. And... So now, you know, fast forward to, you know, 12 months later, where I've been getting no after no after After no, no. and I'm realizing, my God, I'm not going to make it. Like, my dream is not going to happen. I've been working on this for five years of my life, plus it's been, you know, I went to school for creative writing thinking I would be a writer, and that was a dream that was delayed for 23, 24 years. And I'm thinking the essence of who I am is starting to shatter. I thought, like, this is going to be a slam dunk. Like, the book is so good. Of course, people are just going to pick it up. Boy, and after 13 blows to the head, just no after no. I was convinced, like, you know, my my dream is crushed. So, so what am I going to do now? I had convinced myself mentally as much as I loved what I did uh, in my corporate life and as I felt like I was really good at it. I, I, I felt like I, I'm not going to get a chance to answer my calling. Because I can go speak, and that's cool, and lots of people speak, but you know, having a book behind it sure. gives you more credentials. Right. And it, it raises the, to the next level the amount of things you can talk about. And so there I sat, and then sure enough, my agent was losing interest. Mm-hmm. And now the wheels really started coming off until you know, I got a call, and he's like, dude, nobody wants this thing. So like, if you want to go figure out and you know, sell it to some friends or – you know, maybe go try to, you know, uh, find some other hybrid route, uh, get a self-publisher, print a few yourself and hand it out at parties. But, you know, and like that was like the most devastating call I'd ever received in my life because I'm mm-hmm. thinking this is identity for me. This is like who I want to be. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that. And 
and I, I called him back and I said, dude, one more try. We got to try one more try. There was a publisher, the one that ultimately picked me up. So it, ha- it has a happy ending. There, was, I said, you know, you got to, you got to try these How guys. How did you I know have. there was one more? Because I had some friends that had published there, okay. and um, and I had a, a connection of at least somebody that could take a look at it, much like I got an agent. And you know, lo and behold, the final try, they loved it. They ran with it immediately, and I think that was literally my last straw. I was ready to just say this isn't meant to be. But I was on the precipice of getting hammered for a year of like, no, 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 dude, no, this no. isn't. And then a, you know, a, a, someone who evaluated me with in a sentence of, this ain't gonna work, man. Nobody wants this thing. So, one of the things that you talk about in your book is um, you don't suffer when you fail, your ego does. <laughs> yeah. And I love, like, yeah. Yeah, 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 I yeah. love that. Um, can you talk about a little bit about how that was true for you with this story? And then also, what, it, what do you mean by ego? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, talk, get the briefest amount of setup for that. So um, you fast forward to today, um, I've been very blessed that the first book was a success. I have a new book coming out uh, in October called uh, Find the Fire. And this will get to your question. The book um, addresses, you know, a topic that I'm fascinated with, which was we seventy percent of us, believe it or not, in our jobs are either disengaged or we just lost that love and feeling. Mm-hmm. We don't have that passion anymore. That that's those are statistics. That that is a fact. That's crazy. And we make the mistake of assuming that our boss will pick us up or the environment will pick us up, and that is a really that's not a good assumption. And when we're in that situation, most of us say, you know, well, what what inspires me? I got to remind myself of what inspires me, and then I'm going to simply do more of that. But the statistics show like that simply doesn't work. There's problems with asking yourself that question because the answers to those questions turn out to be things that are often repressed in the workplace and you can't execute them. They're passive or they're elusive. The better question to ask yourself is, how did I lose my inspiration in the first place? It was everywhere when I started my job. Everywhere. I didn't even have to try hard. You think that anytime you enter a job, like everything is wonderful, everything is new, everything is inspiring, and yet over time, forces suck the life out of us. Okay, so how do I get back to that then? That's We're great, jumping around right now. That's, I know I, that. I'm going to get back to your question. This leads to your question. Sorry, I just got excited it's about the question. It's all good. So... What I've discovered is, uh, and the way I frame the book up is, there are nine what are called muses in Greek mythology. Yes. Zeus and Cyanime had the nine daughters that produce the muses, and you've often heard muses, uh, they'll, they'll whisper into your ear if you're an artist or you're a musician. My theory is there's actually nine anti-muses, nine forces that suck the light of a, light, that absolutely suck the light out of, life out of us at work. And light. And the light. And if you know what they are, and you can you can counter them to, to rekindle your inspiration at work again, because when you can answer, well, that's how I lost my inspiration, there's natural energy to get it back. You don't have to recreate it. You can go back to when you okay, can. Okay, give so, me one of them. For example, fear of failure okay. is a huge one. And so now to your question you asked me just a minute ago, you know, talking about the ego. I've been doing an incredible amount of research for this book for Find the Fire on one of the sources sucking our power and our inspiration is fear of failure. So how do you overcome that? You have to understand fear distorts reality. It engages our brain in the wrong conversation. It blocks action. 
And what social science teaches us is you have the ability to reverse that flow. You have the ability to reframe and engage your brain in a different conversation. You just have to know how to reframe it. Okay. So one of the ways, now to your question, sorry for the long journey. No, no, that's now, good. This is one good. of the ways that social science teaches us, and even neuroscience teaches us, we can retrain our brain to think differently about failure is by re- is reminding ourselves of you know six mantras. I can quick hit on them. You already touched on the first one, which is to tell yourself, when I fail, it's my ego that suffers, not me. And my ego and me are two entirely separate things. So how would you define ego? Ego is that piece of you that is um, it's subject to the whims, the mercies, the opinions of others. There's you and what is important to you, what matters to you, what at the end of the day you want to stand for in your life. And then there's your ego, who gets sidetracked by all the noise, the white noise along the way of, but what will people think about where I want to head? So, so Scott, for me, when I had to close Blown, the biggest um, hurdle for me was that it was the ego, but it was also that like failure is an event, not a person right, that right. you teach to. Right. And I was so tied to blown as me. And yeah. I think both of yes. those concepts that you teach us, I know you'll get into failure as an event, not a yeah. person, but yeah. um, both of those concepts resonated with me because I I literally, if Blown was doing well, Sarah was doing well. Yes. If Blown wasn't doing well, right. Sarah wasn't doing well. Exactly and that is right. not, I am not a reflection of my business. That's That is exactly right. And that's, that's what happens to us as human beings. We become to believe that that failure that we're experiencing truly is us. It's not a distinct and separate event. It truly is us. And so when we feel the definition of ourselves being attacked by this failure experiencing, we shut down even more because what does that say about ourselves? And one of the, uh, one of the fascinating things I, I talk about in talks and in, in Find the Fire is neuroscience Neuroscience is red hot right now. Yeah, it is. It's red hot. And neuroscientists argue all the time because who really knows who's right? It's the human brain. We just started exploring it. But the one thing that neuroscientists agree on more than anything, the single most concrete thing in all of neuroscience is what happens to the brain when it's experiencing fear of failure. And if I could show you a map, you could picture a brain in the left side of the brain, you'll see the neurons firing as the brain is in the parietal lobes. They're literally reacting to a fear of failure. In the front right side, the frontal cortex of the brain, you'll see in an MRI MRI scanning, is completely black. Dull of any activity, no neurons are firing and registering in the MRI scan. What that tells us is, A fear of failure literally shuts down the part of our brain that's responsible for discovery, for growth, and for exploration. That's what we're up against here. Science is against us. So when you're, you experience the failure that you, you call a failure with, with blown, your brain is, is in the midst of experiencing that. And you may not even known that your brain is now shutting down to the desire to explore and risk, take more risks. And I'm guessing it took you a recovery period before you were ready to get back on your feet again. Oh, totally. Well, and go on to the next venture. Yeah, it wasn't until my coach was like, yeah. she unlocked it. She's like, you know, you kind of, why don't you write a book about this? And I, 
you like to write. I don't like to write. <laughs> uh, but I was like, that's a great idea. No. Um, I'm like, but I'll start to journal. And, and But she unlocked it just a little bit. First, I was like, no, 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 because I wasn't in discovery phase. Yeah. But then it, it did open up a little bit later on. And that's how these podcasts came about. Was because I was go. like, I don't dig writing. It's not my inspiration. I I don't feel exceptionally great at it, but I do love interviewing people and talking to people. So outstanding. And I, and I'm curious, sir. Can you say now with assurance that you view the venture called Blown as an event and not you? Not yet. I'm it still takes working time. on it. It takes time. Yeah. That's what happens when we experience failure. It, it's that powerful that it takes time. We assume that it's us as a human being, not an event. We assume we don't understand that it's really our ego that's wounded, not our not ourselves. We we forget that failure happens for us, not to us. For us. Okay, I got I got a question too. So, going back to this I, this question, um, how did I lose my inspiration? Yes. How do you? Okay, so Blown was an inspiration, yeah. right? And then, unfortunately, Blown got too connected to ego and to self. Yep. And how do you separate, like, inspiration from something becoming a, who, like, too close to the ego? Does that make sense? <laughs> something that become that defines you too much. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a. It's a great. It's really a great question. I guess the inspiration has to bring you to a place of something in the at the end of the day that fundamentally matters. And then you have to be able to reframe it and always keep it in context of, even if you pursue that and you don't fail, you have to be careful how you define failure. I often tell people there really are only three ways that you can fail. Okay. It's when you quit. It's when you never try. <laughs> yeah. Or when you don't improve. So if you're inspired by something... And you pursue that. If th those three things are your criteria, you're going to be in good shape because odds are you won't necessarily quit. Nobody's saying you quit blown. You got to a business point where you realize this is no longer a venture. That's not quitting because you learned from it and you tried and you're going to improve for the next venture. Yeah. It's when we, we have unrealistic expe expectations of, like I did with my book, I let it define me. Like, oh my God, if I don't get signed, I am a loser. Right. Not the event in my life was I didn't get signed. I, Scott Mouch, am a loser. Yeah. And I never, I, I didn't tell myself that, you know, I tried. I didn't quit. And boy, did I get better. Now, getting book deals is a different story with the success I've had behind me. And if I hadn't only known that before I started, it might have been a less painful journey for me. Right. But how would you know? I mean, <laughs> you, you had to experience it. You can't it. know. You have and to experience it to that's know. That's why we've been really um, intentional around calling these podcasts failing forward. Forward, yes. You know, it's the forward piece that is the most important. Okay, let me ask you. So back to this, I love that failure is, quit, is quitting, never trying, and not improving. Right. So back to this inspiration thing. Do you think that one way so that we don't kind of like attach failures or success to the ego could also be but using inspiration it's by just giving it away and not being so attached to it <laughs> you mean inspiring others through our energy and our passion is yeah. that what you mean yes it could yeah. be that but it's just like you know this whole concept of like blown was an inspiration for me but unfortunately i got too attached to it because it became it it was my self-worth yeah, yeah so the yeah, question yeah, yeah. is how do you prevent 
inspiration or talents that you've been given um, from becoming from defining who you are at all times. And I wonder if it's yeah. if simply giving it away, meaning like sharing it with others, yeah. inspiring others through it, that prevents us from being so attached to it that when it isn't there anymore, it doesn't define us. Yeah, it's it's really true. And being clear on what your reasons are for why you're pursuing it in the first place. Mm. When they're others oriented, the odds are you're going to be able to recover much quick, more quickly because you know you were doing it to serve another human being. I highly doubt you were trying to build Blown to be a multi-gazillionaire. I highly doubt that. If you were, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong. And there, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having that as part of the reason why you're pursuing that inspiration. There's nothing wrong with that. But what, what social science teaches us is when we can reframe the purpose behind what we're doing to something higher order, to something greater than us serving other human beings, all of a sudden what you were trying to do, you, I wanted to write a book because I wanted to serve. It wasn't like I was doing it because I wanted to be on the cover of every magazine in the country to feed my, you know, my own selfish need. Knowing that, I knew that like some way or some I'm going to get there somehow and I had the best intentions all the way. So it makes it easier. You can disassociate a little bit more when if you don't get all the way there, you start to understand. But what I'm giving up along the way is acceptable in the material side. When I'm trying to deliver spiritually to people and try to help them in their lives, I'm going to get there eventually. And by the way, I've been having some of that impact along the way. As I was writing my book, I was sharing articles along the way, never thinking that that could be the only way my material is getting out to the world. So I was still serving as I was doing it. So it actually made it a little bit easier to accept it in the, in, in the end because I knew there was an others-oriented component to it. Yeah. I, now I, I really think that, that was, that's probably – that was maybe the missing link for me mm-hmm. with, with Blown. And I don't think I realized that until you just said that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do think – that it wasn't that I thought I was going to make a kajillion dollars, but it, I don't think it was as focused on serving others mm-hmm. that I have with the other work that I do. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that was the missing element. Ma- you just helped me unlock that. Maybe, maybe. But everybody's got a different story and, and everybody's <laughs> is different and making a kajillion dollars is cool too. <laughs> That's good too. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, we talked about failure as an event, not a person. We talked about you don't suffer when you are when you fail, your ego does. I love that. And then the last thing that I want to just touch on because we don't want to give away all the secrets to the book because oh, we want everybody good. to buy the book. Yeah. Your fear of failure shouldn't scare you. Yeah. It's trying to tell you something's worth it. That's right. That's right. I talk talk a lot about that um, in in, uh, chapter two of the book that, you know, it's so interesting. The data is so clear on this. 70% of us would say that the biggest goals we have in our professional lives and in life are by far most marred by a fear of failure. And in terms of phobias and fears, it's ahead of fear of public, you know, fear of public speaking, fear of spiders. Fear of another Transformers movie coming out, um, which I joke about in my book. I'm very fearful of that. Fear of failure is the king of the roost, and it will never, ever stop if if you just let it go on unchecked. And one of the ways it gives us these clues is when, when, when we're, we feel this tingling that we want to try something. Yes. And and that tingling, we we take that as a signal that oh my God, I feel it in my gut, but holy cow, that is scary. If I leave my job, if I close down the shop, if I 
go and do this poet poetry recital in front of everybody if i try stand up for the first time if i if i if i and our brain distorts reality takes it into the wrong conversation and what you have to realize is that's human nature's way of telling you that it's worth it to pursue it otherwise you wouldn't be feeling any of that it would be milk toast and well, why not go try it? Because you don't really care about it. Who cares? Right. But those signals you have to take as that is telling you it's clearing a bar that's worthy of going after it, as opposed to being afraid of not trying it. And if you can reframe it and think it about you know, think about it that way, it's like your inner bat signal just went off and say, "Ding, ding, ding! I'm onto something." Because I'm scared as s to go yeah. try it. Well, then it must be worth it. And we can go after things that are you know worth something or they're worthy of going after and being worthy it's trying your your instincts are trying to tell you that is worthy of your time and taking the risk and i think that bad signal goes off it could go off in small ways and in big ways throughout yeah, our day for that's everybody right. that's right i think that i think that's exactly right and it's training yourself to read the signal differently and ultimately realizing that you know look fear has to be a part of your life's portfolio you can't ignore these inner signals you just can't or you don't live as robust and full a life as you potentially can. Fear must be a part of your life's portfolio. And, and the little failures that you have along the way, and, you know, I've had talks with people that people don't even like to use the word failure because maybe it really isn't that. Because failure really is meant to happen for you, not to you. But you just have to realize it's a part of the total mix of life and you can't be scared by it. And when you embrace it and you recognize it for what it is, you can turn on a dime and re-inspire yourself at work. That's just one of the ways that I talk about um, in Find the Fire. The one I'm most passionate about, so I'm glad you asked me about it. <laughs> oh, that, uh, this is perfect. I, I want to close with that with this one last sentence, sure. which you inspired me to think of. Face the fear and do it anyway. You got That's exactly right. Face the fear that and do it anyway. That is exactly right. You have to try anyways. Scott. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. I'm so appreciative. Sure thing. And uh, everybody in, uh, obviously, on social media will be linking you to Scott's Facebook page and any information related to him. I'm really excited for the book. Uh, thanks for having me here. I love what you're doing with this podcast. It's, I, I, I couldn't wait to be here. So thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Scott. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 